Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Neville Short, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in Glasgow, Scotland. We're going to talk today about the first chapter of Alexander's, F. Matthias Alexander's third book, The Use of the Self. The chapter is entitled Evolution of a Technique. It um, holds a kind of a preeminent place, I think, in Alexander literature. And Neville's got a very interesting uh, take on it, uh, a bit from the from a theater and acting perspective, and that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, Neville, welcome to the show. Good to be here, but I have to say I'm nothing to do with the theater nor an actor. You're quite right in your introduction, but uh, it's more about how FM's interest as an orator and right, as a theater person uh-huh. might have influenced how he wrote it. Yes, that's what I meant to say. Yeah, so yeah. I, we all know Alexander was uh, a reciter and an actor, and uh, and so you have a, a fascinating uh, take on what what that chapter is about. But I think before we get to that, before we start quoting passages and going into the weeds, uh, I think we need to talk about we need to address the question, did the events as portrayed in that chapter actually happened the way he recounts them in that chapter? Absolutely. And this is particularly the case because for those who rely on F.M. Alexander's words and who almost literally see what he wrote as gospel, Mm. they tend to see every word as as being the gospel truth. And I think that is problematic because we don't have any evidence, as far as I know, that FM was working from any notes that he took at the time or even close to the time. And we also increasingly realize that memory is is a reconstructive process. We don't actually remember what happened. It changes in in our memory. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, it's highly unlikely that FM wrote it exactly as it happened. But that doesn't mean we should discount it because the least we can say about it is that he saw some veracity and some usefulness in it at the time that he wrote it. Now, leading on from that, there's a second perspective that I personally find very useful. I think it was Terry Fitzgerald who theorised a few years back that perhaps under Dewey's influence, FM wrote that chapter not as historical chronological fact, but as a how-to guide, how to repeat what what he did. I can remember when I was doing science experiments in secondary school, the first part that we had to write was a list of the apparatus we used. And I think from that perspective, it could well be that what FM was writing down was the steps he thought somebody else could follow in order to, as he said himself, 
guess wh- where he got to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it it could be almost seen as a myth or a biblical story that may or may not have actually played out that way at the time, but there's an essential truth there. Yeah, and and I don't think referring it to that way is in any way dis- disrespectful because all institutions have their foundation mythologies. All sure. cultures have their foundation mythologies. Right. And evolution of a technique in a very similar way is the the, the, the starting myth of, of Alexander technique, whether it's true or not. It's certainly useful whether it's true or not. Right. So now you have a three-act perspective on it. Well, as you said earlier on, it's very easy to get stuck in the weeds of that chapter because it it is about 30 pages long and FM, for better or worse, uses a lot of words in some very long sentences. And I I realised that I couldn't really get a clear view on what he was talking about because there was so much stuff to go through. So I thought that to simplify it for myself... I would change it from a text into a flowchart with the intention of leaving all the important points in but taking out anything that might be irrelevant in the bits in between. Mm -hmm. And I was scribbling along almost literally with crayons on A4 sheets sheets of paper and realised that it fitted as a flowchart really neatly on three separate sheets. And it, it stuck out then as a kind of a hero's tale where he starts off with his problem Mm -hmm. and he makes an attempt and fails and then he says he goes back to his premises and he makes an attempt and fails and a third time he makes an attempt and succeeds and off he goes and then it comes out basically as a three act play because you know there's reasons why most good jokes have three parts. There's reasons why most good stories have a beginning, a middle, and the end. That's a format that works for us. Mm-hmm. So I think it is possible that given uh, his own background in the theatre, he was just quite prone to putting his own story across in a three-act format. By extension, then, he, he not only is he literally setting the scene for us where he goes through these three acts but once he gets started he's the only performer there's nobody else involved in this process as far as he's concerned apart from FM once he gets started so it isn't just a three act play it's a one man show and <laughs> right. I, which, which and is I what think, he did a lot of exactly <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. So I'm not I'm not saying this is the truth, there's no way we're ever going to know. But it certainly fits his character. Yeah. And it also means that if somebody else wants to follow what they're doing, they're essentially following a a a, a three act play in which they're playing the, the lead performer. Yeah. So c- can you briefly summarize the three acts in a little more detail? There were two failures and one success, right? Sure. Well, the, the the briefest I could put it in probably would be Act 1, 
he has a problem, he discovers primary control, it doesn't quite solve the problem. It helps, but it doesn't do the trick totally. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And slight diversion here. It is interesting how he says his condition improved, but not a great deal. Right. I find that intriguing as a kind of a subplot in, in you know, to what extent did it improve? We're not really sure. Anyway, Act 2, he's still got a problem. He realizes that he's gripping the, the ground with his with his feet mm-hmm. so he realises uh, for at least the first time maybe the second time that it's an all body thing it isn't just head neck back it's an all body issue mm-hmm. but again that doesn't quite work because he finds he can't maintain his process uh, when he's going about ordinary life so again uh, it, it, it doesn't quite work Act 3 he realizes that, to use the technical jargon, the problem is his end gaining. So he realizes that if he wants to do something, he's going to have to figure out what his directions are. But at the last moment, at the critical moment, as he would say, either do the thing or not do the thing or do something else. And then he says that when he works in that process, uh, everything works and uh, the hero succeeds and moves on. So that uh, that third step, um, which is uh, not making a decision until the last minute, last second, really, about what you're going to do, uh, seems to me to be a way of dealing with, um, well, if you're using an Alexander direction, uh, there's such a temptation to uh, help it out a little bit. You know, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, especially if a direction seems to be useful, like it's producing a nice result, there's a, there's a, just a huge temptation to want to help it along with a little bit of doing, right? I, I agree completely. And, you know, we, whether, whether we'll admit it or not, we want to succeed. And there is plenty of scope for any of us to fool ourselves during those last steps mm-hmm. that we're doing something other than, than we're doing. Right. And, of, and actually, yeah, go ahead. Go it's ahead. one of the reasons. One of the reasons I really enjoy tango dancing, because you go through that process when you're dancing Argentine tango, but you're with a partner. So you have no and idea it, what's going to happen next, right? Yeah, uh, but but. <laughs> But uh, more immediately, if you end gain and try to get a couple of plan a couple of steps ahead, uh-huh. and then your partner does something different, right? You, you have a problem then because reality isn't what you thought it was going to be. But so, I think that one of the other interesting aspects of FM's emphasis in that about what he's ne- about what he was planning to do next mm-hmm. was. He's talking about it in quite physical terms. He's talking about thinking about what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And I think a shortcut to that might be not so much thinking about what you're going to do, but how you are when you do it. Mm-hmm. Because I because I think one way of describing his intention in that last part of the process at the critical moment is not being too invested psychologically or physically in what's happening next. Mm-hmm. 
And another way of, pro- of approaching that is just a more direct psychological one of not being as invested in what happens. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not suggesting, and, and I don't want to suggest that one of those things is better than the other. But for me, one aspect of Alexander Technique is that we have to use every uh, tool that's available to us to uh, to work through to the end that we might want to achieve. Because if we stick to one process, it becomes stale, it becomes less playful, it becomes a habit. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think in very orthodox very traditional Alexander Technique, there's a particular catechism, a particular list of instructions, but only having one way of doing it, I think is counterproductive for us, because it means we're, we'll be less alive to what's actually happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. But, do you, but do you think that third step does have to do with not um, uh, trying to, to deal with the temptation to help a direction out? I think I think it's a a step earlier really mm-hmm. where it, it it's about end gaining it's it's about focusing too much on the outcome rather than what's happening in between times mm-hmm. and how how is that different from helping a direction out in in your view of things well the, the the example that comes to mind is I found when working with people in that classic chair work where mm-hmm. the pupil is going from standing to sitting mm-hmm. that it's it's quite usual for the person to be anticipating the chair right. and then you'll see their butt sticking out a bit as they come down mm-hmm. into landing and what I've come to realise is that when we want somebody to sit in a fluid, graceful, poised way, they have to sit down as if the chair, without thinking about there being a chair there. Mm-hmm. I mean, to use the jargon, when somebody sits down fluidly in a chair, it's just as if they're doing a monkey and the chair happens to be there. Mm-hmm. When they disregard the chair, they come down and the butt doesn't stick out I mean to talk about you know movement specifically right and it all happens much more fluidly now the reason I'm saying that is because that can be dealt with uh, separately from their giving directions mm-hmm. because it's the outcome that we're that I'm you know discussing about them sitting rather than the directions that, that they might give and it's useful in itself this isn't to disagree with you Robert because there are so many layers to all of this that uh, uh, you've made a perfectly valid point and I'm not saying that it, is, that it isn't true it's just that at, at my stage in in going through this uh, it, it's more about the person's frame of mind towards what they're trying to achieve and not so much about their frame of mind towards the direction they're using yeah but in 10 years time if I'm still doing this I might have a very different viewpoint but at the moment right. it's, it's what I've just outlined because Alexander uh, himself uh, 
was was um, interviewed by one of the students on his first training course, the Trevelyan. And one of the things Alexander says, I wish I had the exact quote, but he says, uh, none of my students will believe that all they have to do is think the thought and that'll do the trick. He said, they're all slaves to their muscles. They all want to add something. And, uh, to, you know, which is a kind of an end gaining in itself. It's a little different than the one you described. Mm -hmm. And Marjorie Barlow, his niece, I uh, wish I had that quote handy. It's in her book, An Examined Self, uh, de describes a conversation with Alexander um, in uh, which, and then she then sort of paraphrases what he says, I think, that learning how to self-direct without adding anything, that is what think real thinking's about. And but there's this tem huge temptation to um, to add something, to implement the direction somehow. And she then has this nice phrase, but you really don't want to do that even a teeny weeny bit. Uh, those are her words. And I think it deals with that whole. It is a, a maybe a different kind of end gaining than you're talking about, but it does seem it does seem related to me. Sure, and and the I think the 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 point you've brought up just there is one of the core questions that, in a way, we all have to figure out individually in Alexander Technique. It's how much doing is too much doing. Mm -hmm. when you're giving directions mm -hmm. and I, it's one of the places I think where language falls down because we can describe our perspective in words to somebody else but all we're giving them them, them then are words and an imitation of what our opinion is mm -hmm. rather than something a bit more useful right well of course the problem is that even a so-called pure thought is going to involve some doing the way we're structured you can't really think a thought without some muscles being activated yeah and and we have uh, i have at the moment too limited a vocabulary for some of these concepts mm -hmm. even the words thought and thinking mm -hmm. if it's purely conceptual thinking like what's the capital of France or something mathematical to to a great extent that's very different in its physical manifestation than, than thinking about movement yeah. and it's therefore leaves us open to apparent disagreement uh, where there might not be any and vice right. versa right. because we might not be think, talking about exactly the same thing I don't think that's an insurmountable problem but I know that I don't have a vocabulary yet for distinguishing between different kinds of thought and that's important in Alexander Technique right right you know there's one other thing I'd like to add about that chapter um, that chapter uh, evolution of a technique Marjorie Barstow um, was around when that book was being edited for publication and uh, she says she said that Alexander and his 
the people on his training course and other people around would spend hours working on language in that they wanted to make it as accessible as possible every word was thought about very carefully and uh, that's one thing and the other thing she said was that in that chapter in her view the most important phrase of all or sentence perhaps is where he says somewhere in in one of those acts he says it would be impossible for me to tell you all the things I tried that didn't work do you remember that I, little phrase I I don't to my own it's my in own there detriment. I don't know what act it's in but he mm -hmm. specifically says in effect I went up all kinds of blind alleys that didn't work out too many to mention here, which could be partly uh, editing to get it into the three-act format. It could be, or or it might not be true. We, we just don't know. Yeah, we have no idea what the actual yeah. reality was. But well, I think yeah. that, the, uh, but again, that there is this language issue, because yeah. as, uh, as FM said so explicitly, in the 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 book before that um conscious constructive constructive conscious control yeah that's the one he gives uh, at least two pages to describing how his own terminology doesn't fit what he wants which i think is mm -hmm. uh which i really respect uh, him oh, doing. Yeah. He says. He says. Uh, he was. Is that the one where he says someone criticized me for uh, for for long sentences? Maybe I or he or maybe that's where he says I I'm going to use certain words, but you know they're just approximations. I'm going oh, yeah, to use the he, word physical. I'm going to use the word mental, but truthfully, everything is both. Something like that. Psycho. Oh, yeah, but, the but, psychophysical but he, idea. But he, he even gives an example. I, I can't remember whether he was using free the neck or relax the neck, mm -hmm. but he was saying uh, this is a dangerous instruction to use um, if you haven't been given the right, uh, the appropriate experience by an Alexander Technique teacher. Mm -hmm. So um, the for me, uh, a lot of this comes back to, a lot of Alexander Technique comes back to what the function of, of language is and what the limitations mm -hmm. of, of language right. Right. Are and one of the things that's one of the reasons why I ended up doing uh, a synopsis of evolution of a technique as a flow chart was I was listening to the radio about a commentary about how graphic novels, how cartoons are now almost an accepted part of literature, mm -hmm. although there is some some people who would dispute that but there was a, a graphic artist who was saying that one of the things that a graphic novel can do that writing can't do is it can explain or it can illustrate a number of things happening at exactly the same time yeah. and unfortunately for us FM was a man of his time mm -hmm. who thought that as a professional everything should be in writing mm -hmm. if he had a graphic artist with him somebody who did cartoons Mm -hmm. Use of the self and all the other books, I think, would probably be more amenable to us mm. because we could see these things not in a linear format, but in in a way in which a number of things are happening at the same time across the body or across the mind and body. 
Wow, now there's a project for an Alexander teacher who has artistic leanings. Good. Not, not, not me, but I can imagine. I know a few people in the Alexander world who could probably do that. Maybe this would be a good place to end our conversation. What do you think on this topic? Yeah, I think you're right, Robert. Uh, so uh, my guest today has been uh, Neville Short, an Alexander Technique teacher in Glasgow, Scotland. I'll put a link to his site by the interview. If you're in that area and you're interested, give him a give him a call or send him an email. I'll also put a link to more information uh, uh, to a site that has more information about the technique and it'll tell you how to locate a teacher anywhere in the world. Neville, thanks so much for this. And thank you, Robert, for the opportunity. <laughs>